Now stand for the reading of God's Word. Our passage is Psalm 22. That is page 489 in your Red Pew Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible of your own, there should be a Red Pew Bible that looks like this somewhere nearby if you want to hunt one of those up. And turn to page 489. We'd like for everybody to be able to see the passage as it's being preached. Psalm 22, page 489 in your Red Pew Bibles. Psalm 22, page 489. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots from my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cries for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kristen. Great job. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Let's pray together. Father, we still and pause our hearts before your word that you have told us is alive, that it has power. In fact, it is your power. It is how you have created all things at the beginning. It is also how you recreate and renew and, ger- and regenerate All things through your gospel word. Lord, would you come and would you take your powerful, almighty, inerrant word? Would you apply it to our hearts that we would be changed? Lord, that we would see Jesus, that we would be moved to worship and enjoy him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's start like we always do with our young people. I have a question for you guys and something I want you to think about to kind of get us thinking in terms of where we're going with this psalm and this passage. So are there, are there ever times in your life where you feel angry? <laughs> I, I don't know if you heard that on the front row, but it was like, oh yeah, uh-huh. 
Will you feel angry? Will you feel disappointed? Will you feel sad? Will you feel like you're being wronged? Will you feel like something is unfair? So here's my question for you. If you get in touch with those realities, which I would imagine are probably a daily reality, who do you run to with all of those things? Who in your life is the person or persons that you run to when you feel like you're being wrong, things are not the way that they're supposed to be? Who do you run to? It's an actual question, not rhetorical. If I can get somebody to answer. Yes. God, okay. That's the great answer, right? That's one of the... You can't go wrong with that answer, right? Yes, LG. Okay, all right, good. Yes. Okay, yourself, yes. Ah, there we go. My mama, right? I would imagine that for most of us in here, especially whenever you're younger, it's mom and dad. That's certainly how it works at my house. It feels like in my house, and you know, we have an inordinate amount of children in our home, and that creates for a lot of conflict, for a lot of anger, for a lot of the feeling of being wronged, right? Like it's not fair. And so I feel like so often as a parent, you're just fielding protests and complaints. They've wronged me. They took that from me. They're not being nice to me. I mean, it's just constant. It's kind of overwhelming as a parent. But as I was thinking about that, you know, where do we run with the pain that we encounter in our life? And I thought about that, and I'm like, you know, that's kind of how it should be. That that's actually a healthy situation whenever a child feels like, okay, the safest person, the person who's going to make things right in my life, that's my parents. I'm running to them. I'm bringing it to them. But as we grow into adults and as we go along in life, it, we learn to take it to other places. I was reading a story this past week, and it was Uh, an author was talking about just his own experience in life and in particular his own difficulty with actually experiencing and identifying negative emotions in his life and how it what it tends to produce in his life is really a detachment from all relationships in his life and he went back to a pivotal moment in his childhood where his parents had just divorced he was like 10 years old And he was forced to go live with his father. And he recounts this moment of sitting on a plane as he has boarded a plane to go across the country. His father had moved across the country. And he's sitting there and he's looking through the window and he's looking at his mom. And he's just weeping. Just from this sense of his family being broken apart and him being taken away from the person that was nurture in his life. And as he was sitting there crying, a man behind him intending to do good... In intending to help the situation, said, son, big boys don't cry. And in that moment, he said, it was a, a really profound moment for him that he received, he heard a message in that moment that really the way to deal with the pain in my life, the way that I'm going to get through this is by shutting it off. He said, I made a vow in that moment to myself And I can't turn it off. And I've been doing it ever since. You know, I think one of the things we notice as we become adults is that often it's very hard to actually recognize and feel the emotions that we feel. What often happens in life is that we go through painful things in life. This is a broken world, and no matter how good our lives are or how blessed we've been in our life, there is pain, there is loss. There are incredibly hard things that we have to walk through in this life. And so what often happens, especially when the pain is really great and often emotional pain is far worse than physical pain, what often happens in our life is that we learn to kind of shut it off. We learn to stuff it down. We learn to... to avoid things and, uh, that, that make us feel, and we learn the art of distraction. 
Our culture today is just rife with opportunities just to distract ourselves and to escape from actually feeling where we really are. So I find that so often we just have a real difficulty with being in touch with emotions. In fact, it even makes us uncomfortable. Maybe you're uncomfortable now as I'm talking about emotion and we even hear that and there's something in us that says, you're getting too close here. Back up. (laughs) You ever experienced that? I also find that so often in especially the American church, we have a real difficulty with negative emotions. It's almost like this idea that, that you know, we, we should put on a happy face and we should be positive and, and we should always speak like, you know, how are you doing? Better than I deserve, right? Hashtag blessed. I'm great. You know, we, we, it almost feels spiritual to wear a mask and to put on a happy face and to have kind of that stoic, stiff upper lip that, you know, my faith is so great that, that I don't feel anything, right? I can go through pain and I'm just happy and good and praising the Lord. And I think that kind of thinking, which is not biblical, it's not in most traditions of church history, I think it kind of comes from our culture. You know, the message of our culture, and we've talked about this a lot, is essentially that the meaning of life is to maximize personal happiness. So when it comes to suffering, whenever it comes to death, whenever it comes to loss, our culture doesn't have resources for that. Because if the, the central meaning of, of the cultural narrative is that life is about personal happiness in the moment, suffering is a threat to that. Most cultures of the world have had far more resources to encounter and deal with suffering than our own today. Because there's no overarching purpose for life. Most cultures have thought, you know, there's, there's something bigger than just your individual happiness. But in our, in our culture, as Mark Sayers says, the, the fundamental meaning of life is to have good feelings, is to have good experiences, and to have good things. That's what we're chasing in life. You think about most of the marketing that comes at us. It's all about that. It's all about programming that message into us. So we don't, we don't know how to feel. We don't know how to grieve. We don't know how to lament. So why do I introduce this? Where are we going? Well, we've been in a series called Enjoying Jesus, where we are walking through and looking at the Psalms. Now, the book of Psalms They are the prayer book of the Bible. They're the the devotional book of the Bible. And and what they do is they lead us into a deeper relationship and encounter with God. They're a guide for us. And they're filled with emotion. They're filled with poetry. They're filled with the things of the heart that, that lead us and shape us to bring us deeper into this relationship with Jesus. So we've talked about a number of different things. We've talked about... Uh, the place of desire in our relationship with God. We've talked about what it looks like to open our hearts to God's presence that is already with us, but oftentimes we're not aware of His presence with us. We've talked about repentance and the intimacy that comes through repenting and receiving the forgiveness of Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about lament. I'm sorry, you're thinking, oh man, really? Do we have to go there today? What is lament? Lament is an expression or a cry of sorrow or pain from the heart. One theologian has described lament as a holy complaint. That is a bringing our pain and a bringing our protest even before the one that is in control of all things. The reality is, and this is stunning, is that the majority of the psalms are psalms of lament. What does that tell us about God? It might be a little uncomfortable for us modern people in the Western world that are trying to avoid anything negative, but we'll see as our hearts begin to be opened to the full range of grief and sorrow that it actually deepens our intimacy with the Lord. Today we're going to see how lament deepens intimacy with Jesus. Now as we look at this psalm, it is a very classic picture of a psalm of lament. And many, uh, oftentimes they have these four basic elements. We're going to see these four basic elements of lament in this psalm today. And they are pour out, if you're a note taker, 
You want to get this. Pour out, remember, ask, and praise. So often they have these various elements, and that's what this one has here. And except for there's, there's actually two psalms. There's actually two psalms in the book of Psalms that do not have any hope or praise in them at all. Psalm 88 and Psalm 39. Which at one level can be disturbing, but in another one I think is incredibly reassuring because there are times in your life where the darkness is so deep, you feel no hope. And these Psalms tell us that it's okay to be there with God. So let's look. First, we're going to see how the Psalms of Lament teach us to pour out to God. Now, what I want you to notice here as we come to the passage, right off the bat, just notice how honest and real David is with God about the full depths of where his pain is. Notice how real and how raw he is with God. Verse 1, my God, my God, the doubling of that is, an, is a heightening of the feeling and the experience. Anytime you double an address or a greeting or you double a name, it heightens it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out to you by day, but you don't answer by night, but I find no rest. Isn't that stunning? Just how honest David is with God. There might be a tendency in us, if we heard someone pray to God in this way, to want to step in and kind of fix it. We often want to do that, right? When someone expresses things like pain or sadness or despair, there's an urge in us to fix it, to cheer them up real quick, to silver lining it. I think because whenever people are in that place, it's an invitation to us to join them in that place, to be with them in their grieving, and we don't like that, so we want to cheer them up, we want to fix it. So we might have a tendency, if we were with David and we were to hear this, to say, whoa, whoa, David, come on, show some respect here. You're talking to God. How do you just come and say that? That's not respectful of God. Some of us think that's how a relationship with God primarily works. One of formal respect rather than free openness to come as you are. Others of us might hear this and might be like, oh, i got to theologically fix David here. You know, okay, David, like God says he's never going to leave us or forsake us. You, you need to let me hit you with some Bible verses. Let me fix you up here so that you, you just know the truth. That what you're feeling is not real. And that's true. But you don't need that in that place. But what does David do? He comes to pour out the full depth of what he's feeling. And he is feeling that God has abandoned him. And where does he take that? To God himself. <laughs> that is the level of realness that God invites from us, that we are that safe and secure with Him, that God wants that kind of engagement, that that we would come to Him with the fullness of where we are, that we wouldn't be buttoned up, that we wouldn't have it all fixed, that we wouldn't have it sorted out, that we would just come raw and real before Him because He longs for intimacy with us. That's what David knows. In his place of pain, he goes to God and pours it out. As he goes throughout the psalm, and you'll see all these elements are kind of intertwined with each other. But in verse 6, he goes back to this pouring out of his feeling of where he is. And now look again as he walks through the circumstances that he's experiencing and how it's impacting him. Notice how David is just pouring all those out to God. It's like he's venting to God. Again, think whenever you think of lament, think of holy complaint. You might think, wait a minute, I shouldn't complain to God. No, you shouldn't complain against God. But you should complain to God more than you complain to all the other people in your life, which is the most natural thing, right? When I'm walking through this, through something in my life, the most natural thing is to be like, okay, how can I find somebody in my life and just rant and rave and pour it out? And so the book of Psalm says, no, 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 you go to the wrong person. Pour it out to God. Look what he says in verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man. He's feeling a deep sense of shame. Why is he feeling that? Scorned by everyone. Despised by the people. 
All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever experienced this sense of people scorning towards you? People dismissing you? People laughing at you? People writing you off? People looking at you in disgust? That's where David is in this place. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. This mocking that David is experiencing at the hands of his enemies. And then in verse 12, he begins to describe how primarily what is happening is he is being hunted by enemies in his life. And notice Notice just the the feeling and the force of the experience, what it feels like for David to be opposed and hunted by these enemies who want to take his life. Verse 12, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. This description of his enemies is like bulls who are encircling to charge him or like Lions who are hunting him to devour him. Later he'll talk about a pack of dogs, wild dogs that are hunting him. And now hear this description of what, he is, what he's feeling in this place. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. And David is saying, I'm at the end. I'm utterly broken. I got no more strength. I got nothing left. God, I am at the end of myself. That's what David is saying here. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them. Just this description of the whole crowd directed at David, wanting to tear him apart. What an incredible picture of how David comes with all that he's feeling, with all that he's facing, all of the circumstances, all of the danger, all of the emotion. And what does he go with it? He goes to God and lament. That is the place that he pours it out. That is the place that he fully bears his heart. You see, as we see the Psalms of Lament, and some of them are stunning with their honesty, With some of the things that the psalmist will say to God, it's like, whoa, can you say that to God? Yes. In fact, not only can you, he welcomes it. Why? Because he wants real engagement with our hearts. We don't have to pretend everything's okay. That's not real. You can't have a relationship from a place of pretending from a place that's not real. And God wants real engagement with our hearts. There's a great tendency in the church and as Christians to think, you know, hey, if I'm going to be spiritual, i got to be happy. Everything's got to be okay. And as I come into church, you know, I have to seem as if, like if I'm real spiritual, everything's going great. And, you know, in the chit-chat, we say, how you been doing? Oh, great. How you been doing? Great. All right, good. See you next week, right? That's how it works. But you see, as we come into this whole genre of lament. And listen, the Bible is filled with it. It shows us that there is a depth that God has created us for and that he longs for us in the full feeling and facing and owning of the depths of our heart. In reality, we cannot change until we begin to get in touch with that and begin to bring it and share it to God and with each other. There can be no depth apart from it. The Psalms of Lament invite us into it. Well, there's also remembering. Remembering. Notice how in the psalm, he reminds himself of truth. That's really why David can come in this way. Why can I think that I can come into the very presence of God and I can complain to him? Where I can say, God, do something. Where are you? How can I do that? I can do that because I'm remembering of who he is. I'm remembering his heart. And that's what David does literally here in the psalm. Look at what he says in verse 3. I mean, right after he's kind of poured out his heart, he reminds himself of who God is. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. 
You are the one in the Israel praises. Lord, you, God, are lifted up. I come to you because you're the king. You're in control of everything. Like, we complain often to people that we think can actually do something about it. David knows there's only one that can actually do something about it. He reminds himself of this truth. God, you are the enthroned one. All power belongs to you. Verse 4, he remembers salvation history. He remembers the ways throughout the story of the gospel, the storyline of the Bible, and God rescuing his people in grace. He's reminding himself of this actively recalling the truth of what God has done in His grace. Verse 4, In you our ancestors put their trust. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. God, I remember the stories. I know what you've done. I know who you are. I know you're this kind of God that when your people cry out, your heart is moved and you engage And you roll up your sleeves and you come down into their lives. I know the story. I've seen it. You've done it in my life. I need you to do it now. See, David is actively using the truth of the gospel on his own heart. He is actively using the truth of who God is. He doesn't feel it. But he knows it. And he's using it on his heart so that he will begin to trust in that place. So we've got to remember. So we pour out and we remember, but we also ask. David here, he boldly comes before God and pleads with God to move in his life. Look at verse 19. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me. From the horns of the wild oxen. It's David just pleading with God, asking, God, show up. I need you to come quickly. I'm fading. I got nowhere else to go. Come and save me. Lament has got to involve asking, and a bold asking, the only one who can rescue. So there's pouring out, there's remembering, there's asking, finally there's praising. Now this might be the most stunning of all. We know where he is. His circumstances haven't changed. We know what he's feeling. You know, whenever you're feeling in this place, whenever you're in the place of pain, whenever you're walking through some incredible adversity in your life that you don't understand, some struggle, what what does it feel like? It feels like God is a million miles away. It's so easy for it to feel that way. To be like, God, are you even here? I don't feel your nearness. I don't know if you see me. There's a part of me that really feels like you forgot me, just like David feels here. But notice where he goes, even in the midst of that. Notice how he chooses to praise God, even in the pain. This stunning picture here. Look at verse 22. It's like a shift of the whole psalm here. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. He turns to the community. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him, revere Him. All you descendants of Israel. David says, in this place, I'm going to choose to praise you. It's because he knows who God is. At least he knows it here, even if he's not experiencing it. In the moment, God, I know who you are, and I'm going to choose to praise your name. I'm going to worship you. See, that is an act of faith. Sometimes what faith looks like is, I don't feel this. The circumstances contradict this, but I'm going to act according to what I believe. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, I'm going to praise your name. I don't feel it. It, it's, it's, uh, it all, everything in my life seems to contradict it, but I know it's true, and so I'm going to worship you. And listen, there is an intimacy with the Lord in worshiping Him in pain. Because when we're in pain, when we're walking through something hard in our life, it, it's like in that moment we're not tangibly experiencing all the benefits of God. Right? And so, so often, it's so easy to go to God for what He gives. 
right? I mean, so often, we were talking about our prayers earlier, so often our prayers are like, here's what I need in my life. Now, the good thing is God wants us to bring that. But so often our relationship with God is merely about what He gives us. But you see, in the place of pain, you ain't getting anything. And when you say, God, I'm going to praise you, it is a demonstration that, God, you are my treasure. It takes us back to Job. If you're familiar with the book of Job, where he's stripped of everything. And he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That is a holy place. You ever been in that place in your life? When you feel stripped of everything and you say, God, I am going to praise your name. Glorifies God. That's where lament's got to go. Well, the final thing I want us to see, and it's really the question we got to always ask when we're in the Psalms or really anywhere in Scripture, how does this show us Jesus? How does this Psalm point us to Jesus? Because all the Psalms do. Every passage, everything is about Him. Jesus Himself said that. How does this point us to Jesus? And now this is, I don't know if you picked up on this, but it's stunning. This Psalm is stunning. This Psalm is a Psalm of David. Like David was walking through realities where he fully felt this way. And we know many of the details of his life. This is not attached to a specific situation. But we know so much of David's life as king over Israel. He was on the run from enemies or being opposed. And he walked through some incredibly hard things in his life. We don't know what it was. But he was under persecution. He felt this. But he did not realize that this lament was about something far bigger. Do you notice how the description of what David is facing is, it is a stunning description of the crucifixion of Jesus, the greater David, the son of David, that it was always promised that one day from David, there would be a greater David who would come and he would fully rescue God's people. He would usher in God's kingdom. He would do what David knew here. Did you notice in his praise, he's praising God that one day God All the nations are going to come to you. One day there's going to be this worldwide ingathering of the Gentiles. David knew that was a promise, and he praises that here. But he has no idea what is going to happen. And he had no idea that it was going to happen through the very thing he's describing here. David wrote this a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus. But notice again the words of what David says here. I'm poured out like water, verse 14. All my bones are out of joint. This picture of being hung naked before the crowd. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. This description of excruciating dehydration at the very end of his life. Verse 16, second part of the verse. They have pierced. My hands and my feet, just like the crucifixion where they drove the nails into the hands and the feet of Jesus. Verse 17, all my bones are out of joint. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lot for my clothing. Let me just read Mark's description of the crucifixion. It's stunning here. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha. There they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chiefs, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified him also in heap, heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Wow. That's Psalm 22. In that moment, Jesus took the very words of David that he knew by heart. That David had prayed to God for his own life, but not realizing that it was a perfect picture of what the greater son of David would actually endure. That, you know, David had the experience of being forsaken. You know, David says, I feel abandoned. Why have you forsaken me? But the reality was for Jesus, he was actually forsaken in order that we might never be forsaken. See, this ultimately points us to a far greater lament. The lament of Jesus. His very last lament, hanging on the cross, bearing the full weight of our sin, bearing our judgment upon Himself, dying in our place so that we would forever know the acceptance and the love of the Father. His lament was not heard so that ours always will be. See, the gospel changes lament. It changes lament. It shows us the fullness of our acceptance. That there is nothing that can separate me from the love of the Father. There is nothing in me, nothing I discover in myself, nothing that I've done in my life that can possibly separate me from the Father because Jesus was separated in my place. And through union with Him, I have the love and acceptance of the Father. It cannot be lost. I cannot be condemned because He was condemned in my place. You see how it produces an incredible freedom and lament to come right where we are without fear, to pour out the fullness of our heart and to be assured of the acceptance and the love of the Father because of the work of Christ in our place. And it means that the final word on our, on our lament is always redemption. It's always renewal because of what Christ has done. So let's apply this and we can discuss it for a minute. Here's, I think, just a fundamental question for us. What pain are you facing in your life? That's that's a tough question. Not one that we necessarily want to get real honest with. Some of us, you might not be able to answer that. It might be something that's been deliberately buried in your life. But what pain are you facing? What adversity? What hurts? What are you struggling with? What doesn't make sense in your life? And so the second question is, where are you taking that? Where are you taking it? You know, I know that among us here, we're walking through all kinds of stuff. It's just life. It's just life in a broken world, but we're, we're walking through it. We're, we're walking through cancer. We're, we're, we're walking through incredibly painful loss. You know, yesterday was the grief share uh, seminar on the loss of a spouse. It was nine people that came who are walking through a tremendous loss in their life. So we're, we're walking with things. Some of us, it's, it's desires that have been unmet, and that hurts. For some of us, it's things in our life that we don't know how, we don't know how to get peace with it. It might be shame that's just flowing over us through that. And it's not, it's not always big things. You know, it could be, it's, it's all the little things that we face in our life that are not the way they're supposed to be. All the ways that I'm not free in the way that I've been created to be free. It's all those things. And the question is, where are we taking them? You know, the most natural thing, and I mean, for me, I'm kind of like that guy that the story I told at an early age, it's just like, bury that stuff, man. You don't need to feel that. Bury it, stuff it. I do that so naturally in a way that I don't even know what I'm feeling. I mean, it'll pop out, right? But it's just stuffing and not even knowing what I feel, not wanting to know what I feel, wanting to escape what I feel. Anybody know that? And we all have these narcotics for forgetting. You know, escape. You know, entertainment. That is a great narcotic for pain. Like, like, I can pick up my phone and get away from that pain. I can go play golf 
and get away from that pain. I can go watch some Netflix and get away from that pain. I go buy it. I mean, you can go on and on and on of all the ways that we avoid pain. Where are you taking it? Some of us just love to just thrash people on social media or just complain to the people around us. Complain to God. You see, this, this, this psalm invites us, pour it out to Him. Lament. Learn. The art, the calling of lament in our life where we pour out the fullness of our pain to Him. But then secondly, and this is crucial, you got to know how to preach the gospel to yourself. See, David was active with remembering. It's almost like he's taking his heart to task and he's saying, listen here, you need to remember because it doesn't look like it and everything contradicts it. You need to remember who God is. And so he uses the truth of God's word and what God has done on his own heart. He preaches the gospel to himself. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to take the truth of the gospel that's revealed in his word and use it on your own heart and say, listen, you feel forgotten, you feel shamed, you feel pain, but you are the Father's beloved. You're accepted in Christ. He loves you. Your, any of the things in our life can only turn out for our glory and good. That's a truth that's been promised to us. Nothing can separate me from you, and one day you're going to wipe every tear from our eyes. Remember Revelation? Do you know how to preach the gospel to your own heart? So let me stop there and just give us a few minutes to interact over that and discuss. We do this each week. If you're new here, we take a few moments at the end of the sermon to just hear from each other and how we're being impacted by the truth of Scripture and the gospel. Michael, would you mind working the mic here so everybody can hear it? So what's happening to you as you think about lament, as you think about how the gospel changes lament? What's happening in you? Let's hear from each other. I'm really glad you mentioned small things uh, matter too, because I think for a long time um, I've thought, okay, well, I can go to God for the really hard, big pain in my life. But the small thing, I've got to figure that out myself. <laughs> yeah, but the I can relate to that. Yeah, but the reality is when I think about it and I reflect, those small pains I think are like a training ground yeah. for the larger things, mm, yeah. the larger pain. And so... As I look at patterns in my life, like I'm building a habit in these daily small challenges that I face. Not that I want to like wallow and like, woe is me, this, you know, little whatever happened today. But I create this pattern and this habit in my heart of just trying to fix it on my own. So then even when, when big things and big pain does come, mm. I, that's my automatic default response because mm. I haven't trained myself to go to the Lord. Mm. And I just am, that's just coming to me, and I'm seeing that as you're preaching today. So mm. thanks. That's so good, Emily. I'm so glad you said that. I know there's probably a lot of us here that are like, I don't know if there's any big stuff going on in my life. So this might not apply to me, but it's like, yes. I mean, the small things in our life, the small everyday struggles are, are things to lament over and opportunities to deepen with God. That's what lament does. It deepens us with God. Sarah. Yeah, I feel like on that, I once heard that um, anything less than Eden is reason for lament. Mm. And I think that was really helpful for me because I think my coping mechanism, well, it's not even, well, I guess I tried to make it one, but it would just like, I, before I could even feel anything, I would have to wrestle with, is this like actually worth lament, if that makes sense. So it's like, I could never even really invite God in because I had to like gatekeep of like, well, is this bad enough? And then there's the game of like, well, someone has it worse, you know, or like, at least it could be this. And so I think it really, I mean, I still do it, but I think that's a really helpful thing that I can kind of check my heart of like, kind of like Emily was saying, like, I get to go to God with this even if, like, maybe I'm afraid someone will think I'm silly for yeah. feeling sad about whatever yes. it is. Yes. Uh, that's so good, Sarah. How many of us think, I don't want to burden other people or God with 
my problems or what I'm going through. I don't want to be a complainer, right? Like, God invites you to complain to Him. Why? Because it's real engagement. I mean, that's when it gets real. We get real with God in the place of our vulnerability. What makes us vulnerable except for whenever life's not working? One of the things that just struck me, sort of as Emily and, and Sarah were talking, and um, is the complaining part. And I think about the word vent. You know, mm-hmm. we like to vent because yep. it brings a momentary release. Yeah. Um, and I wonder why uh, I'm content with just a, a momentary release or event uh-huh. because when we complain, it doesn't bring healing. Uh-huh. Lament and taking it to God brings healing yeah. because that's where we get to look and say, okay, what I'm seeing are maybe symptoms of the bigger issue. And it's kind of like we're just walking. If I feel like if I'm venting, there's not really healing. Mm-hmm. It's just a momentary fix. Yeah. But there's not complete healing in yeah. that. I think you're, you're spot on. I think our venting is a way for us to handle it on our own. You just using other people to do it. Where when we vent to God, we're actually pouring it out to the one who wants to engage us in it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think for me, I've... I'm going to say I, I am an oldest child, so I think I've often felt the pressure to be perfect, to be the good role model for the younger siblings, just like, you know, be the cool, amazing, awesome, always happy, always excited person for my family, for my friends, for my schoolmates, to always be the person, like, who's okay, right? And I think that means that I end up internalizing a lot of my anger, a lot of my madness because I'm always telling myself oh someone else has it worse I need to be strong for them I can't tell people about my pain because they have their own pain I don't want to burden them with mine yep and I think that no one's ever told me it's okay to be broken it's okay to lament Mm -hmm. it's okay to share those messy feelings like people have told me that but I don't know if I've ever internalized it yeah and I think it it's incredibly impactful to me to hear it's okay to complain to God. It's okay to not be all right. Hmm. Like, I think that's something that's incredibly hard for hmm. me. Yeah. 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 Thank you, LG. I don't know if anybody can relate. So good. Um, I feel like also in our culture, there's this thing that it's okay to be okay. Well, I feel like that just specifically in the way that it's used is more of a way to affirm people in their affliction instead of helping them get out of it. Hmm. But I think, you know, we still need to know that it's a normal thing to not be okay. Yeah. But there are people who would like to help you get out of it, and there are ways to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like the key is, with friends especially, not to just affirm them in their suffering or in their pain or in their illness. Mm -hmm. It's to actually show them care and mm-hmm. help them yeah. in that. Yeah, I, I think that's a great, uh, you know, just thinking about how to help others in their affliction. And I think you, you want to be present, you want to show care, like God does for us in the place. Like God doesn't fix in the moment He sits with you in it. But... Um, So how can we do that with people? But also, how can we ask? This would be a great question to start asking to one another when you're venting. Listen, be present. You know, don't say this immediately. But after a little while, say, have you taken this to God? Just a great question to ask. That's a way that we can help each other grow and lament. Have you, I appreciate you sharing all that with me. Have you shared it with God? Because... That's probably the main place we need to take our pain. So that's good. Let me, oh. Okay, all right. This is a good topic here. I know I'm new, but I was going to talk anyway. Um, one of the things that I had learned is that if you don't bring even the little things or the big things to God, how is he going to be glorified for anything? Yeah. 
that that's how he uses us yeah. is because through that prayer and through bringing things for him, then we're able to, and others are able to recognize when he does move and when he does work. Yeah. And if we don't rely on him for those things, there's not even a way to recognize his hand. Absolutely. You know, if we like heroically get through something because we're just so tough and committed or whatever, like that glorifies us. If we get through it and it's like, the only way I got through this is just sheer grace of God carrying me. Well, that glorifies Him, right? which is what we ultimately want to do. I know I've gotten a lot of comfort from the fact of the, just the finality of what Jesus has done. Mm. Uh, the, the, last, the last statement of the psalm is, um, He has done it. Yeah. Uh, that is reflected in what Jesus said on the cross. It yes, is finished. And it is the, finished. when John translated it in the Greek, the Greek means paid in full. Hmm. And uh, you know, it, it's a, just a there's a completeness. Mm. Yes. And he's already handled it. Yeah. No matter what I go through. Yes. I know he's all sufficient. Yes. Thank you. That's it's awesome. So I tend to be the person who wants to give the encouragement and bring them out of that pit of lament. Uh Because in my times of lament in the past, it's always been centered on, but I still know God is good. Uh So therefore I can, he can help me through this. So if I see someone sitting in that place, it's hard for me to step back and just sit in that place with them. But then there's also, where is the danger of, they've been in that place for so long how healthy is that? Because then you start to just spiral in your own self-pity and mm-hmm. what was me and not taking it to the Lord and coming out of that. Mm-hmm. Like those yeah. songs that don't end right. with that uplifting. So I just think it takes wisdom. And we're going to get it wrong sometimes. You know, sometimes we're going to try to fix people and we're going to be like, ah, oh, shoot, I didn't mean to do that. Other times, we, what they might need is truth. You know, sometimes people are wallowing in self-pity, not actually lamenting to the Lord. And we might have the discernment of that where in love we say, hey, are you taking this to God? Do you know what's true here? You know, helping speak truth into that. And I just think it's a matter of wisdom that we're going to mess up a whole lot. And so we repent and say, God, help me to love well. (laughs) I think by and large, though, we err on fixing rather than letting someone feel. But we could be different. You know, all of us could be in different places on that, but, yeah. Okay, we good? Let me pray. Father, I feel like there is so much for me to learn in this particular area of following you. I pray all of us this morning that, would you just encourage us with the knowledge that you just want us to come to you with wherever we are? And then we can come with the fullness of ourselves, and you want the real us. And we have that safety because of Jesus. Lord, would you just take these truths, put them into our hearts, that, Lord, we would engage with you in the week ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.